you have one nearby, you can grab it and turn to the last book in God's Word as we come to the beginning of Revelation chapter 14. This evening, we find ourselves in the middle of this cycle that we might call seven signs in Revelation. And what we're now beginning to see is the fourth sign that's contained in these books before we get to the seven angels with the seven plagues. So we want to just look at the first five verses of Revelation 14 tonight. I trust, especially in light of what we've seen the last couple of weeks, this might seem altogether much more simple and self-evident and obvious to you, but it's a glorious text for sure. So let me read it for us and then pray and we'll begin. So listen now as our Lord Jesus speaks to us once again. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Well, let's pray once again. Father, we do ask that You would help us to know the safety and security that You have won for us, that by your Spirit you would speak to us this evening, that your Spirit would even open our ears to hear this word, open our hearts to keep it, uh, that we might indeed find the blessed promise that you've attached to it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, kids, I want to tell you about a story, an Old Testament story that many of you might know. It's the story of the old prophet Elisha and his unique experience in the city of Dothan. And if this is a prom, uh, if this is a story you don't know anything about, I want you to fix this story before your eyes today because it's helpful for a variety of different reasons. What's happening at that time is the king of Syria. He's wanting to wage war against God's people. And Elisha and his prophetic ministry has managed to distract to delay, to altogether refute the king of Syria's attacks. And so the king of Syria is kind of throwing up his hands at this point in 2 Kings 6. And he's saying, uh, what is going on? And his wise men say, well, it's this man of God that's thwarted you time after time. And so what he decides to do, the king of Syria does, he gets up in the middle of the night. He marches his army all the way to the city of Dothan, where he knows Elisha is staying. And so when Elisha and his servant wake up the next morning, his servant looks out the window. And what he sees, as he gazes out, are troops of the Syrian armies as far as the horizon. And so, understandably, he's frightened and he turns to Elisha, the prophet, and he says, My Lord, what should we do? And Elisha, as it seems like those old prophets always were, you know, cool and calm and in the face of danger. You know, he comforts his servant by saying, well, let's pray. 
And actually, what Elisha says is, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And then suddenly, the servant's eyes are opened. If you know the story, what does he now see actually surrounding all of these Syrian armies? But this hidden army, chariots and horses, the fire that lead to the safety of God's people. It's this hidden heavenly host that guarantees God's people are safe. And it's this brilliant picture that we continue to see over and over in the book of Revelation as it's lifting our gaze to the heavens above that we might see this hidden heavenly host helping us to understand that God's people are going to be safe. And it's especially relevant for us to see that when you get to this point in John's vision. It's almost as though the Spirit of Christ understands that maybe it's John, but of course maybe it's us listening to John's letter that needs some type of assurance of security and safety by this point in his visions. Because if you've been with us the last two weeks, what we've seen in Revelation chapter 13 is the dragon, who is Satan, he's called on reinforcements in the form of these two beasts. One comes from the sea, one comes from the earth. And these beasts, his generals, his minions, his demonic powers in the world, uh, they rise which, with such force and fortitude that if you glance back up to chapter 13, verse 4, the cry of the earth is, who can fight against the beast? And then we saw last week in chapter 13, verse 15, that the second beast causes those who don't worship the image of the beast to be slain. Christians losing their faith because of this war that's waging or raging all around them. And so you might be, perhaps like John and his original readers of the day, you might look out upon the world today and seem to think that the church is just losing everywhere you turn. Uh, you see Christians being martyred, many more than we tend to realize, being martyred in the world today. You see churches, it seems like, on every neighborhood corner, yet as years pass by, many of them die. They come and they go away. You see many nations in the world that are so dark spiritually that if the light of Jesus Christ is there, it's as though it's just this kind of birthday candle lit in the midst of a black drop sports arena, all blacked out. And the wind is just waiting at a moment's notice to blow out that flickering flame. And so you might look out on the world and think, the church is losing. What are we going to do in the midst of this fight that seems to be taking all of our influence, all of our effectiveness? Well, what John sees is what we see tonight. This hidden heavenly host that is above, reminding us that the Lamb has triumphed. To him belongs victory, and of course, therefore, to him belongs, and to his people belong, safety in the fight. And while the world is raging around you, you can be assured that the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion. And the simple point that we want to consider together this evening is actually a question. That's my theme for you this evening. Who will stand with the Lamb? Who stands with the Lamb? That's the question I want to answer in this text. And we're going to see three specific answers in our five verses. And so what I want you to do actually along the way as we notice these things is, is make that question, that theme, quite personal. I don't want you to think about it merely about who will stand with the Lamb, but ask the question of will I stand with the Lamb? And before you see the first reason, notice how the text begins in verse 1. John says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood a Lamb. So kids, who does this lamb represent in Revelation? 
Well, of course, it's the Savior himself. The Lamb in Revelation is code word for Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ, they're standing on Mount Zion. And what do you know about Mount Zion? Well, it's language that's used some 150 times in the Old Testament. It tends to, of course, refer to the dwelling place of God, the city of His people. Sometimes you might think about it in temple-like language, Jerusalem-like language. But if you put all of the Old Testament background together, what Mount Zion is, is the eternal city of God where His people dwell safe and secure in His presence. And we know even in the course of this book, this is the only time Zion shows up in Revelation, that what it's referring to here is that heavenly city that is above. Of course, is going to soon enough come down upon the earth when the Lord Jesus returns. And so you see the Lamb standing at Mount Zion. And now we ask the question, who stands with the Lamb? There's this story in American military history from 17, uh, September of 1918. When American tank corps was battling against Germany, and they were stuck in. The Americans were this trench warfare. And across no man's land stood a mighty fortress of the German army. And there was something like 25 machine gun nests that were trained down on where the American trenches were. But an attack was required. An offensive movement was necessary. And so a young officer by the name of George Patton, he, he picked up his walking stick, stood on top of the trench and said, Who's with me? That's as though Jesus here is standing and we're asking the question, who's with him? Answer number one, the sealed. The sealed. Who stands with the Lamb but a sealed people? Verse 1 continues, And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, students, I hope you know by now that numbers are very significant in the book of Revelation. We've uh, greeted this number of 144,000 before in Revelation chapter 7. And do you remember what that number represents? It re represents all of the church throughout redemptive history. You can do some simple spiritual math. 12 times 12 times 1,000 equals 144,000. So you have 12 tribes in the Old Testament, 12 disciples in the New Testament, multiplied together to represent the fullness of God's people throughout the ages, times a thousand, the number of immensity and fullness. And what you see then here is the church of God, the redeemed saints of God, standing next to the Lamb. And importantly, it says something's written on their foreheads. I have the name of the Father, and they have the name of the Son written on their foreheads. So there's this great contrast uh, that's happening at this point in Revelation. Some of you might remember from last week in chapter 13, that there's a mark of the beast that belongs to the unbelieving world. And now there's a mark that belongs to the believing church. And this mark is none other than the name of God written upon their heads. The name of God which is symbolic. And it's writing upon their heads. It's symbolic for God's presence among His people. And I remember a time going to an event. Some of you might have an occasion like this before too where I came to the event and you had this kind of stamp that was impressed on uh, the top of your hand to signify your entrance into the area. But if you looked at the hand after the stamp was pressed, you didn't see anything on your hand because it was one of those stamps that had ink that only showed up under a black light. And in a similar way, what Revelation is telling us is every single person in the world has a spiritual stamp on them. Uh, you, you can't see it right now. I can't see it right now. We can't see it right now. But the great day of judgment, it's all going to be revealed. 
And there's only one of two stamps that will be on you. It will be the Father's name written across your forehead. Or it will be the mark of the beast as you belong to his army. So who stands with the lamb? Number one, the sealed. Who stands with the lamb? Number two, the singing. A singing people. Look at verse 2 as it continues. I heard a voice, John says, from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. Now, if you stopped right there and are an astute reader or hearer of Revelation, kids, you might say, I know who that is. That's Jesus Christ, isn't it? Revelation chapter 1, verse 15 says that the Son of Man in His exaltation, His voice roars forth like the sound of many waters. We've seen a number of times in Revelation already that peals of thunder erupt from around God's throne. So you would think that this is going to be the Lamb speaking in verse 2 and following. But it's not the Lamb, but it's His people. It's His singing people. It's a heavenly choir that sings above. Notice as verse 2 continues into verse 3, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. The song is so full, it sounds like the roar of many waters. It's so powerful, that sounds like eruptions of thunder. And majestically, it's so melodious, it's so beautiful. It sounds like notes from a harp, such as the song of the redeemed. And that they're singing a new song is significant because oftentimes in the Old Testament, more than you would realize, uh, when someone sings a new song in redemptive history, it's because of God's victory over an enemy. Sometimes that song of victory moves into a song of thankfulness for uh, God's work at creation. But more often than not, what this is is a military song, a song of victory. Because in the ancient world, you might well know that People, when they were going off into battle, armies, they would be singing as they went off into battle. They'd be singing as they returned from battle in victory. And so I think it's right for us to picture God's people here standing next to the Lamb as He stands in victory and safety. That they're singing that song, not just of the redeemed, they're singing the song of eternal victory that belongs to God and His people. And you'll notice that it's only the redeemed that have anything written on their foreheads. In the same way, it's only the redeemed that have anything coming from their lips. Look at the end of verse 3. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. I wonder if you like to sing. Of course, I'm not asking if you sing well. But I wonder if you like to sing. Kids, do you enjoy lifting your voice and praise and glory? To the Lord, I hope you do. Singing people stand with the Lamb. I promise you this. None of us will ever get to heaven and begin to sing that new song of eternal glory. And the Lamb look over at us and say, so that's what your singing voice sounds like. No, it's not possible. What will happen is you'll get to heaven and begin to sing that singing song of eternal glory. And he'll lean in and say... That's the voice I know so well. God's people are a singing people. God's people are a sealed people. This is who stands with the Lamb in number three. It's a sanctified people. You see that in verse four and five. And as we even begin to close these short verses, I want you to see just a few more things, three in particular, about the sanctified people of God. First of all, the redeemed 
are people of purity. Look at verse 4. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. And we are wise not to take this as some type of statement of literal celibacy. That's just using this sexual imagery to communicate the purity that belongs to God's people. As students, you want to make sure that you reckon with this and parents encourage your children in this early in their life that you can't read through God's word and recognize how sexual purity is of peculiar importance to God. And therefore, it's, it's understandable why he's using that imagery here to communicate the purity of his people. But recognize, too, that it's not as though the Lord is only concerned with sexual purity among his people. We know from texts like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 15 and following, that he's concerned with comprehensive purity. That's purity in the heart, it's purity in the head, it's purity with the hands, that those who stand with the Lamb are, are pure people. They're people of purity, number two, they're people of loyalty. Verse 4 continues, It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed for mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. My kids, maybe you have a pet at home that will follow you wherever you go. Or parents, maybe you have a child at home that follows you wherever you go. Make your prayer this week that you follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And even the nature of God's people being first fruits to the Father and to the Lamb underscores their uniqueness, their set-apartness. Because you might know in the Old Testament times when a harvest was gathered in, first fruits were set apart as belonging to the Lord, as an offering to the Lord. In the same way, God's people are set apart in holiness for the Lord. People of loyalty, people of purity. You see, thirdly, finally, verse 5, a people of fidelity. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Of course, blameless only because of the righteousness, the blameless righteousness of Christ received by faith alone. And I trust that you long for that day when you can stand before the Father blameless, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb for always and forever. But this language here of no lie was found in their mouth. It's probably best for us not to take that as just a general statement about their truthfulness, that they didn't have lying lips. In the context of uh, Revelation, it's probably better to take that as, as underscoring their faithful witness to Jesus Christ in the midst of the beast and the dragon's opposition and persecution. That no matter the hardship, no matter the harm that was coming to them, even the threat of losing their life, uh, they stood firm in the truth as it's found in Jesus Christ. So who then stands with the Lamb? A sealed people, a singing people, and a sanctified people. So then I wonder, are you one of those people? What's the mark on you? What's the song in your soul? What's the heart you have before the Lord? And of course, be even encouraged this day that, of course, the redeemed people are people of the Redeemer himself. He is the pure, spotless lamb that spilled his blood to save sinners like you and me. He, of course, is not just lamb of purity, but he's the lamb of loyalty, obeying everything his father required of him. He himself becoming the first fruit of resurrection when he rose again on that third day, erupting forth from the grave. And he's also the lamb of fidelity, isn't he? As Isaiah chapter 53 prophesies that like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And no deceit 
was found in his mouth. And we know it's in that slaughter that he rose. From that slaughter, he rose again, victorious, that he can stand on Mount Zion. As everything seems altogether raging in war here below, that he can stand in heaven above, communicating to us the surety of his victory and the comfort of his safety. Who stands with the Lamb but his people? Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would mark us as your own, that your sovereign grace and goodness, your eternal love, would comfort us in the midst of our troubles and trials. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of the ways in which we have fallen short of your commandments to walk worthy of the calling you have placed upon us. Help us follow your son this week. That we might know his safety, we might know his security, that we might live in the fullness of his victory. We do pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.